Hi, I'm John Bomarito. Another Acoustic Alternatives from Grove Studios in Ypsilanti, a place that uh, if you're in the Metro Detroit Ann Arbor area and you're looking for a place to get out of the garage and get into the studio, this is the place to go. They've got multiple rooms, including obviously a podcast room. They've got rooms you can practice your band in of various sizes, and even DJs can practice here. And today's show, I will say, is brought, by, brought to you by them because they are kind enough to let me do my podcast here at the studio. And uh, somebody I've been a longtime fan of who released her first album 31 years ago. Oh, no. Jonathan Brooke is here. Jonathan, 31 years? That's from, well, at least that's when it was released on Electra, I think. I don't know about when it was released on Green Linen. You're right. I mean, I just, it's, it's, you're right. It is 31 years. That's a long it's 91. time. That's a long time ago. Yeah. Feels, doesn't feel like, I mean, wow. Yeah. Your music has been part of my musical landscape for so long. It just seems like you're, you've always been there. Amazing. Um, the, hopefully I can stay here a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is your career. I think this is what you're doing. Yeah. Pretty sure. So far, so good. <laughs> On the 1995 album, which I thought was excellent, Plum, you declared in the song Made of Gold, you will remember my name. And I certainly would, as I've been a fan of yours since, well, I didn't I didn't discover the first album. It was the second album when I was hearing uh, So Much Mine on WDET, and that's where I became a fan, so... I'm glad to have you as part of today's podcast. And before we get into talking about a younger version of you, would you like to start with a song? Sure. What's it going to be? <laughs> this is a song called Better After All. And this is on a record called Back in the Circus. along 
Jonathan Brook is my guest today on Acoustic Alternatives, Better After All, from uh, Back in the Circus, going back in time for that one. And speaking of going back in time, let's go back to young you, like <laughs> Boston. Is that where you grew up? I grew up in Boston, yeah. yeah. What was it like growing up there for you? Uh, it was pretty idyllic, I have to say. Um, my favorite part, though, was when we moved to London. <laughs> so what? That doesn't. Yeah, when I was six, we moved to London, and and it was a very explosive, awesome, fabulous time. We spent about two and a half years hmm. in London, and I came back very changed. I think so. So I was. Um, that's where I discovered ballet. I, you know, I became a hardcore dancer. I started speaking French. Hmm. You know, and I I just loved the the whole atmosphere in London. So I came back and uh, kind of went hardcore into dancing and. Um, studying French and music came in somewhere music came in somewhere but music was kind of late like it wasn't until I was 13 that I begged my father for a guitar and uh it was mostly because I was obsessed with my camp counselor Mindy Jostin <laughs> who you might remember from touring with John Mellencamp and the Hooters hmm. incredible multi-instrumentalist singer songwriter and she was my camp counselor. Camp counselor, <laughs> yeah. apparently. Yeah. And I was so obsessed with her. Like, she, she could sing anything, play anything. And she had this pistachio green bikini that I just was, I you know. You anyway. wanted one. Yeah. I just, I wanted to be Mindy Jostin. <laughs> so I got a guitar for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Do you keep in touch with her at all? She passed away oh. a few years ago. Yeah. Really, really sad, really young. Um, but until then, yes. I didn't know he spoke French, but it makes sense because on the uh, the deluxe edition from Europe of Steady Pull, there's some French stuff on there. Yeah, I'm I'm possibly good. I have a <laughs> I have an accent that can fool some of the people some of the time, and then if I get deep into a conversation, I'm lacking in vocabulary, but Fair I enough. can play along for a pretty good ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so did you did you do dance and music at the same time for a while in your life or did they did one take over yeah well it was simultaneous for a while I, I didn't start writing songs till college oh, actually really? so I was you know I was in the rock band in eighth grade I was in the college choir I was in the acapella group I uh, had a top 40 band but it wasn't until sophomore year of college that I actually started composing and writing and that was when that was the sort of light bulb moment but I had always identified as a dancer so even after college, I got a degree in English, but I went back to dancing and touring on the weekends with my friend Jennifer, who was my partner in the band The Story. Mm -hmm. And it really came down to this juggling act of like gigs on the weekend in, you know, folky basements in New England with Jennifer and rehearsing with four dance companies in Boston and nannying and cleaning houses and somehow, you know, making the rent. But uh, it was like the end of the 80s, like 1990, we got this record deal. And that was kind of the clincher when I I quit dancing and Jennifer and I went on the road, basically. And Nannying gave me the song that I started my relationship with your music with, right? So, so much, much mine. mine. That's, that's from your yeah, Nannying experience. My nannying. Such a great nannying story. Years. You've told that story live many times. And it's just it's like, oh, you know, every time I hear the song, I always remember you talking about it on stage in those yeah, early days. Yeah, it's a, it's a deep one. And I, I'm... I'm so lucky that I got to kind of channel that mom energy. I I don't have kids of my own, but it it's kind of a deep dive into that mother daughter yeah. conversation. It's a, it's a great song. Still, every time I hear it, it hits me. So thank you. That, that's a sign of a good thing. Um, then at some point, the scene was 
local because you were playing coffee houses and basements, but then you got signed to a larger label and now you're going across the country. Yeah. Were you guys doing that as headliners or openers initially? Initially, we were openers, and actually Ann Arbor was was one of the very first places that we kind of got a little foothold, and it was because of the ARC and their generosity. And also, um, there was an agency here that took us on, the Fleming Tamulevich Agency, and so they were able, because they had so many great singer-songwriter artists on their roster, they were able to put me and Jennifer opening for John Gorka and Patty Larkin and Chris Smither, and uh, it was such great... It was really great training. You know, I think we really cut our teeth on that folk circuit in the early years. Uh, when, we, you know, yeah, we had some tour support and we had beautiful uh, record record uh, recording budgets. But um, it's the touring that where you really kind of figure out who you are. <laughs> and you connect with your fans. I mean, in, yeah. in the kind of music that you play, I mean, if you were playing to stadiums, you would never know the faces of your fans. You wouldn't remember me. Yeah. Well, no, no, you probably, I'll always remember well, you. Well, I don't know about that, but I mean, just <laughs> in general, the, the kind of music that you're doing connects with people in a different way that then nothing against Taylor Swift, but she doesn't know most of her fans, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. There's an intimacy to, to what we, we uh, traveling songsters do. Well, the traveling did well, the, the <laughs> records did well, and then at one point, the label said, uh-oh, we don't need Jonathan Actually, anymore. Actually, three different points. <laughs> oh, three different, well, the last the last point was the was yeah. the MCA, was that with Plum, right? Is that, yeah. or no, Tencent Wings, Tencent Wings. Uh, Tencent Wings was the last uh, major label debacle, yeah. And then you went on your own. And, and I went indie, yeah. It's like, <laughs> screw this. I can do a better job than you all. <laughs> and why is it Bad Dog? I know you're a dog fan, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, I am a dog lover. I'm a dog freak. And my earliest publishing company was called Dog Dream Records. I mean, Dog Dream Music Publishing uh, after a song that I wrote on the very first story record called Dog Dreams that people are still yelling for. <laughs> uh, and Fancy so I dogs. figured I would just sort of make my new my new thing, um, you know, dog related. So I now I have another publishing company called Naughty Puppy Music. <laughs> and now I have... Um, you know, Bad Dog Records, and the next one, I don't know, might be, well, I don't know if I could say it, but like... You can. It's not radio. Nasty bitch, you, you know, can say something. Yeah. <laughs> Just to keep it in the... It's in allowable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a, a favorite dog breed for you? Oh, well, probably Golden Retrievers, because I, I feel like I might have been one in a past life, because... I'm just a pleaser and I will always bring the ball back and, you know, I'll respond to, you know, praise. <laughs> That's my lot. <laughs> We've well, been around, uh, it, your homes have been in several places other than mm -hmm. Boston and London. You moved to Malibu at one point, mm -hmm. to New York at another point when you're taking care of your mother, right? Oh, yeah. And then currently Minnesota. What brought you to Minnesota? Oh, yeah. Minnesota. I'm in Minnesota now. Yeah. I'm in the Minneapolis. I, uh, my husband... Grew up there. Okay. And we were a little burned out on New York. This is 2016. And we were a, a little bit getting priced out of New York, candidly. And our uh, we were just kind of burnt and needed a new adventure. And we, we hated L.A. You know, no way were we going back there. We weren't that fond of Nashville as a sort of music town destination. And Minneapolis is a great music town. It's a great city, despite all of the racial tension, awesome, <laughs> awful, awful stuff. Um, it is a really great city and 
I think there's hope for it. I hope there's hope for it. But uh, you can, we could afford to actually buy a house, you know, and that was a big part of like, we need to, we need to get our ducks in a row because, you know, life's short. Minneapolis gave us prints and all the things that were related to that. Yeah. The replacements. Yeah. Who are your contemporaries that you're hanging around with? In Minneapolis, well, there's this amazing rapper named Dessa. Okay. She's killer. Uh, there's another vocalist named Abby Wolf, who I just adore. And she has a, a really cool kind of hybrid thing she's exper- experimenting with called uh, Champagne Confetti. Uh, it's her and a guy named Eric Mason. Hmm. So they're really doing cool things. Um, Rebecca Aarons, my cello player, okay. lives in Minneapolis. Uh, so it's a, it's a John great Gork town. is there too, isn't he? Or is he? Gork is a little out in the in the burbs, but okay. yeah, he's he's somewhere nearby. Do you know Carrie Noble at all? Yeah, yep. Yeah, I haven't haven't seen her in a long time. Yeah, she was from Detroit originally ah. before she moved out there. Oh, there's a connection. Used to used to hang well, not hang out, but she knows who I am. So. Yeah, I'll say hi. Please do. I was supposed <laughs> to I actually got to visit Minnesota last summer and uh, tried to catch up with her while she, while I was there, but too busy. So anyway, hmm. how about another song? Sure. What do you want? Uh, a song and a guitar. Um, <laughs> you had a story you know, about a mandolin. Bef- well, that mandolin's cool, but you had a story you were going to say, but you said, "I'll wait. I'll save it for the song." Was oh, that about for- better after all. Yeah, we should tell the story then. I should tell the story. So that first song, um, apparently, so I was just teaching a songwriting workshop in Nashville last week, and it was this amazing range of people from all over the place. A girl from England, a nineteen-year-old from England, this guy named Sam from Boston. Uh, another UK person. Anyway, people from all over, all ages. Sam was like 20. The England girl is 19. There's a 60-year-old. There's a 40-year-old. Really, really cool bunch. And it, it turned out they all started sharing this really intense, amazing stuff about their lives. And and apparently for Sam, this song was kind of a mantra, saved him kind of song. He was homeless on the streets wow. in Boston. And... Uh, something about this song, he just kept playing it over and over and over again and somehow got sober. You know, kudos to this this young dude. And his mom had known my music, had written about it in a, one of her, she was a writer, had, had written me into one of her novels what? 20 years ago. So all of a sudden there's this weird connection with Sam getting back to his family resurrecting his relationships, getting sober, here, you know, playing this song over and over again. And then his mom saying, wait a minute, I know her. I wrote about her in this book. And Sam's like, I need to learn how to write songs. Wow. How do I do that? She's like, well, Google it. And then the first thing that came up was my <laughs> workshop. So this kid ended up at my workshop. And That's it was crazy. It was pretty life changing for, for both of us, I would say. Nice. Well, is the guitar tuned for so much mind since we were talking about that? I could do that. All right. Well, tune it. Well, <laughs> we don't want you to have to do anything difficult. <laughs> Acoustic alternatives today from the Grove Studios in Ypsilanti. Yeah, so much mine. Do you want the story? Nah. You can. You Too boring. Can. Yeah? The short version. Short version. So much mine. I was a nanny. I fell in love with these two little girls. I started to imagine what it might be like to be a mother and slowly lose them, whether it was just that they grew up and didn't need me anymore or whether they ran away and were lost to, you know, like Sam on the street somewhere. So that's how this happened.
Jonathan Brooke is my guest today on Acoustic Alternatives, doing the song that turned me into a fan 30 Aww. years ago. <laughs> it's a special moment when mm. an artist that you admire so much does a song that you've loved for years and years and years, Aww. feet away from you Aww. in the midst of a pandemic still. That's the uh, early in the day version of it. <laughs> yeah. What's different for you about that than the... Um, early I, in the day. Oh, I see. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's early. It's not eight o'clock. I at haven't night. sung yet Sorry. today, so I'm <laughs> like that's a really tough one to to, well, to do out of the gate. Uh, but I love it so much that I wanted to do it. Thank and, you. And also, my voice is changing. I think I'm liking getting. I mean, one of the things about getting older that I do like is uh, this sort of lower register that feels more powerful and more experienced, and and it has more gravitas to it when I sing. I was paying attention to the big notes and thinking, God, she can still hit those big notes. I mean, <laughs> I missed one, but that's no, okay. no. But I was mean, counting. Like, as as people get older, it is a lot harder for them to to sing the songs that they wrote when they were younger because they're hitting different registers. So yeah. So far, I have not changed any keys. <clears throat> so we'll we'll call me next year. <laughs> okay, love to. Well, I figure if you um, I just actually learned how to practice. <laughs> All these years later. Years later, I'm finally actually warming up my voice, you know, before gigs. There you go. <laughs> well, over the years, you've written a lot of great songs. Is there a lyric that you're the most proud of in uh, your catalog? I mean, that's a big catalog wow. to pick from, but something that they, when you wrote it, you're like, yes. Well, so much mine was one of those gift songs where you know the, I had that phrase, "so much mine," and I I didn't quite know what it meant yet. I just thought, oh, that's a cool little catchy thing, but mm -hmm. it could have meant anything, right? But then as I started telling the story of the mother and the daughter, I thought, wow, that's what that means. It's love, it's loss, it's despair, it's hope, it's it's just that that current that we share. Um, so that's one I'm proud of. Lyrically, uh, there's a song called Twilight that I'm super proud of, the lyrics. I just love, um, in the chorus I say, I love you, not perfectly, not well, but I love you. And I'm leaving soon, so fare thee well. I love you, so let that be the story that you tell. Um, so that's the one I'm proud of. Uh, because I Told You So has some good lyrics. I don't know, it's funny because as I'm revisiting my catalog, as I sort of put together songs for each 
tour or I'm, I'm putting songs together for this cello trio thing that I'm doing yeah. recently and I'm making these cello charts. So I'm revisiting some different songs that I maybe haven't done in a while and I'm rediscovering them in this great way, like excavating treasure. <laughs> I just, because I like to read about music and who's doing what, I just read that Jewel wrote 200 songs for her new album that she pared down to however many is on this well, record. quit it. I know. How many songs did you ever have written for a record? And how, That's crazy. I know it is. I've only ever had like one or two extra. If I finish a song, it's a it's a keeper. There you go. I'm not gonna write 200 songs to get 12. <laughs> what a waste of time. Well, so you've had records. All due respect, Jewel. No, she's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> Have there been records that you've cut songs off of though? And what happens to those songs? Do they get re uh, resurface? There's only one song that never got repurposed, and it was called Halfway From Here, and I think it was supposed to be on Tencent Wings, and I think we arranged it, and we added strings to it, and then it just was like, eh, this doesn't really fit, and it's not my favorite song anyway, but literally, if I finish a song, it's for a good reason, and okay. I'm not going to waste it. Uh, there was one that didn't make it onto the Woody Guthrie lyric record that I made, called No More Letters, but it w it became a bonus track that we put on the, you know, the Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble it's in the version, car right yeah. now, actually. <laughs> Which I, I love that song and I, I wish it could have fit on the original, but at least it, it at least it's there. It's there. It's out there. Yeah, there's very, I just don't have that kind of time to waste music. Right. Well, that, I mean, that, that means that there won't be like a 30th anniversary of any of your albums with bonus tracks because there aren't any. There are none bonus tracks. <laughs> there's one bonus track. I mean, there's, okay, Wings. okay. There are, a, like, I've written five musicals now. So there are a ton of songs that I've written for musicals that, you know, you kill your darlings when you're in that world. You have to, like, oh, we cut this scene. So there goes that amazing song you wrote for, like, you know, the third song in the I Want slot. And then all of a sudden, oh, we killed that character. So this one has to come in. So now we need a new thing. And you're like, what? You're cutting... You're cutting my Firefly song? No, you can't. So, yeah, there's a lot of those that who knows if they'll turn up anytime. When you're writing, do you write on piano and guitar or do you prefer one or the other? <laughs> That's a good question, too. I love writing on guitar. My problem is that I write in all these weird tunings. It's not a problem. It's a signature. But when I'm writing in a world where other people will eventually have to play them. Like a cello player. Like a cello player or like in musical theater. Because I'm working on a new musical now that was a commission. And uh, the last one that I did, I had, I had all these weird tunings. I had it mandolin. I, and then when it came time to do a reading, no one else could play my parts. Because they're bizarre. And they're, they're just signature to me. So I had to train my guitar player, Ben Butler, how to play my songs in my weird tunings. And it almost killed him. And he's a genius. So after that experience, I my new musical I'm writing mostly on piano so that at least someone can actually play, you know, someone who can read music can actually read the charts. And transpose it to whatever they need. Yeah. yeah. Do you take arrangements of songs into the studios with you in your head? Like, I've written it on guitar, but I want this bass part. Are you the arranger or is it your producer? That handles uh, I'm an arranger. Yeah, I love, I love producing. I love making up parts. I love telling. I love being really bossy and telling people what to play, <laughs> what to sing. Uh, I love the studio. It's just a, a candy land. Are you self-taught? I am self-taught. Guitar and everything. Yep, everything. 
That's why the tunings are unusual. <laughs> yeah, it was sort of by default. You know, standard tuning was super boring and super hard to play. I hate bar chords. You know, who? Why? Why do that when you can have a rich? Oh, that's standard. See, see how boring that is. <laughs> oh. You can't really. You can't jam on that. So why would you bother? Like you could have. You could have a beautiful, rich chord where you still wouldn't have to use your left hand, but you could make a gorgeous sound without working so hard. <laughs> well, in this studio over the years, you've worked with a lot of cool people. Bruce Coburn's been in there, Neil Finn, Michael Franti, Keb Moe, Glenn Phillips. And we, we briefly mentioned, well, Joe Sample's in there too. So this wide variety of people yeah. you've worked with, but but Woody Guthrie. I mean, he didn't really work with Woody in the studio, but he was there in spirit, I'm sure. We could go into hours about that project, I'm sure. But So good. Uh, so with all the people you've already worked with, is there a wish list of, gosh, I wish I could work with X, Y, and Z before. Well, this Belgian guy that I'm obsessed with. You told me about before we yeah. got into this. He calls himself Stromai, which is maestro reversed. But I, I'm absolutely assessed, obsessed with him. He, he um, had a record maybe 10 years ago called Racine Carré, which means crossed roots, I believe. And I just think it was genius. I think that his storytelling is wicked deep and wicked poetic. It's it's in French. He sings in French, um, but his arranging and his his combining of grooves from all over the world, African and Chinese and South American, these these different song forms and the instruments that he he taps for all of these records. It's this. It is this really amazing meshing of all sorts of roots and. And he's a compelling performer, and he's he's visually super uh, adventurous. He makes incredible videos of his work, and and uh, does he know you exist? And does he want oh, to collaborate with it. you? I well, doubt it, but I, but that would be like to write a song with him and sort of to merge our particular roots, like this weird folky thing that I do with sort of the beats that he might be drawn to. That would be super cool. Would you change your name to J-Bro, like you were calling yourself for a little totally. while? Totally. <laughs> Are you kidding? I would, I would change my name to anything. <laughs> well, he's, he's, he's on your list. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, one of my favorite ones that you collaborated with was the Bruce Coburn one, War. And I, mm. as I was thinking about that, it's like, well, you've actually, your career has spanned two wars now at this point. Are you, I mean, you not, not that it? you want to be inspired by what's happening currently, but is there, are you being inspired to, to, to put this one down in some way, shape or form? I... It, it, it's so overwhelming. It's so much. And it's, you know, collectively, globally, what we've all sort of experienced over the last two years with COVID and then now Ukraine, it feels like I wouldn't even know where to begin. Not yet. I guess it would be, a, a you know, as I usually try to do is I tell a way smaller story inside the bigger one because I'm not a soapboxy kind of person. So I would have to find a tiny story. Maybe it would be <laughs> one of the journalists that I follow on Twitter, who's a Ukrainian writer, rescued a dog from the middle of Mariupol. Mm. And um, he, there's a photo of this forlorn little, it must be sort of a small golden, you know, labra something. And he's in the middle of this complete, completely devastated scene. It's just been shelled into submit you know it's just a wasteland and there's this little dog looking out and so this journalist rescued him and he called him tank <laughs> nice and uh so yeah maybe i would just sort of focus on I that i would just focus on tank there'd be a, there'd and, be a story there yeah because otherwise i just would cry 
<laughs> All right, song time. Would you add another one? guitar? Or you brought the mandolin? I, I have no idea. I bring the mandolin. What do you think? You could. Why not? All right, let's, yeah, hold on. What song would you like to do on mandolin? This is called Imposter. Nice, from the album of the same name, EP. Yes, EP. album of the same name. And uh, I wrote this uh, really about myself. I was I was really thinking about imposter syndrome and how I struggle with that. And, and everyone that I actually respect struggles with it, which is so such a relief, right? Uh, but whenever I tour in Europe, they think it's about Trump. You know, the emperor with no clothes. But I cast myself as the emperor with no clothes. of cold air but no one says a word I'm the one night stand up against the wall promise you I love you but I'll never ever call liar loser phony no one ever says so but I know it's true Go ahead and drop the other shoe It runs in the family I come from a long line of pretenders Naked just like me Keeping up the pretense Dodging our reflection so we don't what everyone else sees Liar, loser, phony No one ever says so But I know it's true Poser, lightweight, cheapskate Woe is me, the wannabe Someone better muster up the truth Why am I the only one
She's Naked as a Jaybird on the cover of that EP, actually. <laughs> Imposter is the name of the song and the EP that's from <laughs> Jonathan Brock. I was naked. Oh, in the middle of the street with those people staring me. In the middle the- of the street with those people staring me. And I, and then as I, um, you know, as when it was too late, when the record was already out and I was like signing autographs in the, in the line after shows, I thought, well, this is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I'm naked on this thing. Like, wow. Oh, well. Dumb, dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think that through, did we? <laughs> So your some of your peers have done a project that made me wonder if you'd ever want to do a project like Cry, 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 Dar Williams, Richard mm-hmm. Shadell, Lucy Kaplansky. Is there two artists that you would think of working with like on a trio project like that where you did an album on a tour together? Well, Phoebe Bridgers. Ooh. I would dig that. But she's already got so many side projects. But I do love her and um, Lucy Dacus. Yeah. Uh, I think they're just killer writers. I just really dig their stuff. Um I think Taylor Swift should do a little small thing like that, you know, three chicks in harmony, and you know, I'd be up for that. Yeah. Well, Richard Jindal wasn't a chick, so you'd have to add a guy. I in know there somewhere. You, you do need a guy. Sean Driscoll, my guitar player, is a killer singer. There you go. So I would bring him because he's he's he can sing higher than me. Um, who else would I do? That's a that's a pretty cool trio right there. Yeah. Well, Joe Laurie, who tours with me sometimes, I would bring her too. Could it be five people? Sure, why not? Because we could do like really <laughs> dissonant harmonies. <laughs> I could do that. What about if you were in charge of curating a Lilith fair? You just named two people you'd probably put on there with Lucy and uh, Phoebe. Like your yeah. own your own version of Lilith fair, the, the J-Bro Festival or something. I don't know, whatever. The J-Bro Festival. I, well, I bring the Indigo Girls because I just love them so much and they've become friends. Um, probably, you know, Phoebe and Lucy um, would have to be chicks. Yeah. Lilith Fair was. It was all chicks. Yeah. I'd bring Ingrid, who used to sing with me. Yeah. She's an incredible writer. I remember Ingrid, yeah. And no one really knew that, but what a great writer. Um, gosh, I'm blanking on all the girls that are out there doing great stuff. Jonathan Brooke is one. Well, I would be. Yeah, I'd be headlining. <laughs> well, you have a relatively new album, Sweetwater Sessions, recorded at Sweetwater, because that's... that's actually, not far from here, is it? No, it's Chicago, isn't it? Isn't it's it? it's or, actually um, Illinois, Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne, Indiana. You also Indiana. Re- Midnight in Illinois. Midnight Illinois. Yep. Also, Midnight Indiana. I just made a new city. Midnight Indiana. Also recorded there, it looks like. I just noticed that now. Because it says in the yeah, we did both records there. Yep. So, how did you choose which songs to re-record for this? Because you do have a lot, a lot of songs to pick from, and I guess I kind of would have expected them to be stripped down acoustic, which you've already done live acoustic albums. So, it was tough. I, you know, it is a retrospective. So, I, first of all, I wanted to pick some songs that I feel that have evolved a lot over the years that might warrant you know, approaching with this older perspective and this older voice, like Angel in the House, I put on this record. I was I was like, I really want to do that one because I think I sing it so differently now. I have mm-hmm. this wisdom that I didn't have then. I didn't even quite even understand what I was <laughs> writing about. Uh, so that one, and I think uh, we did Full-Fledged Strangers, which I, had nev- I was never happy with the original of that on Plum. So we did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twilight is just one of the songs I'm, so proud of and I actually repurposed it for one of my musicals I'm working on cool uh, but I I wanted to reapproach that and give it a little more breath and strip it down a little more than it was on the original and what else um, oh and then you know you gotta have a cover song so I had to do Hide Your Love Away by the Beatles nicely done yeah. it's a nice collection of songs I was just curious how you like how do you narrow it down oh, oh, songs, songs yeah. that need new arrangements yeah, and um, 
my Peter Pan song, I definitely wanted to have a recording that I owned because yeah. Disney owns everything that I did about that song, which is on a huge movie for them. And mm. it's been, you know, sung in 15 languages by 15 other women. Nice. And it's like, it's all over the world. And that that's really one of my biggest songs. So I wanted to make a version that I yeah. that I owned. Right. So uh, it's on one of your records. Finally. Yeah, exactly. Can you license it for some sort of a retrospective? Well, that'd be good. You should. Hey, Disney. Some, hey, can I borrow my song back? <laughs> Thank you, mouse. <laughs> well, I'm, sure, I'm glad something like that is in your back catalog. Yeah. Something that probably generates a occasional check in the mail. Once in a while, Disney saves my life. Yep. That's awesome. Once in a while. Because, I mean, having been in it so long, you kind of, at this point, because I've, I've been in the music industry when CDs were brand new. Like I was working in a record store when we got the very first CDs. And like you, I've kind of watched it go from there to, uh-oh, <laughs> can't make a living selling music anymore, can we? Um, no, not one bit. That's why everyone's out here touring. Right. You know, if, you can, if you can tour, you got to tour. And I try to convince people that you got to go to the tour because if you don't, then they're not going to be able to make new music because if you're not buying their albums and you're not paying them to perform for you, you're going to lose them. They're going to have to go bag groceries. And yeah, I think it still is a disconnect. People don't understand that. I, I do very much. You do, yeah. Because <laughs> I have lots of friends who are musicians and I care about their livelihoods and their well-being, so I do what I can to make sure that it happens. Thank you, yeah. I think a lot of people, a lot of people I know are, are just... You know what? I can't make it work anymore. I got to go back to school or I got to do it, you know, yeah. plan B. I know a few people who gave up. Yeah. Did the Kitchen COVID concerts, did you charge for those? I watched a few, but I don't remember ever paying uh, them. They were free, but I did. Tip jar. And this was, such, yeah, it was such a weird feeling to be like, I. you don't feel great about like shoving your Venmo information in front of people, you know, in the little chat room of the, the live stream, but it saved me. Good. I couldn't have survived that first year without the live stream tips. It, we had, we, it was amazing. Yeah, you had to do something. I mean, yeah. I, I turned to this. It wasn't really a money generator, but it <laughs> saved my soul because I was missing what I was doing exactly. before I lost my radio job. Yeah, so. besides that, it was, yeah, it was soul saving right. for sure. Well, you've done a lot of different things since then as well. I noticed there's Jonathan the model recently. <laughs> like, what the heck's going on with that? Since when? I mean, not that you're not beautiful enough to be a model, but oh dancer God. and singer was enough, I thought. <laughs> Well, I was kind of joking about it, but like early in the pandemic, I got this message from this woman named Annie Turbin mm -hmm. and she's a clothing designer in, well, she was in LA. Now she's in Chicago. Uh, but she said, I think you would look great in my stuff. Can I send you a few things? So I'm like, okay, like what girl didn't want, didn't want new clothes. So mm -hmm. she sent me a bunch of stuff. This is hers and that's hers. And I just started wearing it all the time. You know, I started wearing it on my live streams and she started getting calls from where do I buy people that? Who were like, where, where'd she get that sweatshirt? Because I would always mention her name because she'd been so generous with me. So anyway, for two years, we've been like joking about, well, you should come model for me. So I actually did. I went to her, her uh, photographers in Nashville. So I went to Nashville and I, I modeled for a day. I must have changed out of like 50 or 60 different <laughs> outfits. I think there were like 2,600 photographs that were taken and I was a model. <laughs> new headshots, new album covers, done. It's wicked hard. It's wicked hard. Do not, I mean, I was so tired. Yeah. And and then at one point she has me like jumping and like kicking and whew. Still agile though. Yeah. So singer. <laughs> Model, <laughs> uh, also teacher now, teaching yeah, master I classes. Teach a lot. Another yeah. way to make a little bit of money when you're not on tour. It really helps. Yeah, I have these. I have three sessions usually that I do in Nashville. These intensive three day workshops where fifteen people gather, and it's really, 
It's more than songwriting. It's just really community building. And it's it's bonding. And uh, a lot of lives change. And including mine, every time I get sort of cracked wide open and we try all sorts of stuff. And I'm, you know, yes, of course, teaching what I've learned over the years and sort of deconstructing my songs. But people just really go deep. And it's it's so impressive. They're so brave. Like, hmm. I'm terrified every time I sing a new song. But they are there. They've come from all over the world. And they're trying new stuff in front of total strangers. It's, it's awesome. It's amazing. See how you inspire. Well, it, 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 it they inspire me. Yeah. <laughs> We briefly talked about uh, you're working on some some off Broadway again. Like my mother has four noses was an off Broadway thing. Is this mm-hmm. the other things you're working on similar to those? And yeah, yeah, I I'm working on one musical called Switched, which is about two women who were switched at birth and they find out when they're forty. Wow! And it's really really cool. And then I was commissioned. I'm actually getting paid to write this uh, second musical called Tempest, not Tempest. It's Tempus, and uh, it's a really exciting journey i was paired up with this playwright named jacqueline backus who's genius Mm. and so we basically wrote a whole musical over the pandemic because we were on zoom the whole time we weren't ever in person Uh, but our first table reading is going to be in a couple weeks uh in new york cool Mm -hmm. so we can expect something to be emerging publicly soon well i think these producers want it to go to broadway so nice we keep saying, like, how are we going to make this affordable? Because that's our, you know, we're in poverty theater world, you know, Jacqueline and I. And they're like, no, no, we could have six dancing people and there can be, no, don't worry about it. There can be a huge ship on the set if you want. And we're like, okay. Maybe if you can afford it. I can. Yep. Uh, also, your current tour project is a cello thing. Is there plans to record any of those? Yeah, cello we are hoping in the fall to record some of our cello songs project uh it grew out of again the pandemic my cello player rebecca who lives two blocks from me in minneapolis and i made a recording of one song with our arranger friend Adi yashaya and we uh we kind of it saved us you know Hmm. to actually just be making music as hard as it was being masked in the studio uh and then we've expanded that to uh he's written a new string quartet and he's arranging string quartet bass uh, vocals and percussion for 10 of my songs for a performance in Minneapolis in June. And then we're going to see where that goes. You should record it. Yeah, I think we should record it. And then meanwhile, Rebecca has, I've written all these cello charts for my songs and Rebecca is on the road with me and Sean now. Nice. Perfect. My, I appreciate all kinds of music, but my appreciation for the cello came from my dentist who said, hey, you got to check out Apocalyptica doing Metallica. I'm like, what? No, write it down. Check it out when you get home. It's really cool. Like, okay. And then kind of opened the door to, wow, what else is out there? Two cellos, those, those uh, handsome gentlemen from, from Europe who do all these interesting cello interpretations, and they're pretty popular. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. So my appreciation of the cello grew out of somebody suggesting, check out cello metallica I'm like well never a huge that's metallica fan but that's cool. interesting interesting way to approach it well i uh, love the challenge of arranging you know i have to learn a new thing i have to learn how to actually write music because mm-hmm. I, I i'm unschooled so i've had to learn that and then i've had to learn how to write you know what the range of the cello is and how to write parts for it and the beauty of the cello is it can be the other chick singer it can be sure. that other vocal part but it can also be your bass and it could be a percussive sort of rhythmic thing too so it's just this beautiful landscape <laughs> i've noticed the tour schedules short little bursts is that is that how it's, you have to do it i mean no it's it's that's just that how they're where everyone is desperate to tour that's what i figured it might and be and they're just 
you know, there aren't enough days in the week for all of us to, you know, be out there and, and uh, make the rounds. It might have been 15 years ago I asked you about how much it would cost to do a house concert. Has that price gone down in, the, in light of the situation? <laughs> no. It's absolutely still a million dollars. <laughs> it was like $10,000 when I asked you, I think. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, some people charge less. I was. I mean, not that you're not worth that. Well, but for the band. Yeah. yeah. For the band. If you want a whole band and you want to rock the house, it'll be, it'll be 10 grand. Well, got to make a living. You got to make a living. Because we're not buying your records. Yes, we are. Because I have them. Yeah. Well, just... Maybe for your listeners in case, because there really is a disconnect. They don't understand. Um, I wrote a song with Katy Perry that I thought, oh, finally, I'm going to, finally, I'm going to make some bank. ka -ching. And I just, it's gobsmacking that I, for like 750,000 streams of that Katy Perry song, I netted like $4.87. Now, where in the olden days, I would have made, because it was a three-way co-write, I would have made three cents per album sold, per song. Right. Uh, so there you do. There's some math. There's some math take, for you. Take, take that into consideration. Take that into consideration and go buy a ticket. <laughs> Jonathan Brooke is my guest today on Acoustic Alternatives, and she's got one more in an alternate tuning that she's going to do before my final question. Because I Told You So was one of those gift songs that kind of descends on you. I had this idea of... You you know, I, I love cliches because often they can mean way more than they originally mean. And this one was particular to that because I told you so is something that your mom said all, you know, your whole life. But what if it were you and a lover just battling it out and, and say, you know, why can't, can't, why can't you believe me? I, I swear I love you. Why, why do you need more than me just telling you that I do? And uh, so it came, it grew out of that. And uh, <laughs> it was very intense uh, to sing, to write, to record. I was recording with my husband, who, amazing producer, Alain Malay, who produced Tencent Wings, the record that it's on. And uh, kind of, it felt like we didn't really know what I was writing. Like so many of the songs on that record people would say like, wow, are you guys okay? Because <laughs> it, they're, they're, there's some dark stuff, this among them. And we'd be like, oh no, we're fine, we're fine. And this kind of was the song about our marriage. And so there.
As you kind of told the pre-story, I'd never made a connection with another favorite song of mine that's not yours, but a favorite song that has kind of a similar theme. It just hadn't connected. I don't know if you would know the song from Kenny Loggins called Swear Your Love. Oh, I don't. From the album High Adventures. The, 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 chorus, is, the chorus is, swear your love, say you don't need no diamond. If some piece of paper is keeping us together, I ain't buying it. Oh, wow. It's sort of a parallel between the, isn't it enough just to say? Yeah, isn't it enough? Isn't it? Wow, jeez. What a powerful song. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I have to say, uh, maybe I've said this to you before, but um, in the in the years of my household that we've been together, of the artists that I've brought into the, well, all of them pretty much, artists, music that I bring into the household, there are very, very few that are requested. Can you please play some? Can you pull out the CD from? Mm-hmm. Jonathan Brook, it comes up, and Chris Cornell is another one. But oh, wow, <laughs> I yeah. mean, there's, there's two two opposite ends there. Oh, she also wanted you. to know if Hogan's Heroes is really one of your favorite TV shows. <laughs> I think it just fit the rhyme I scheme. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the, the thing I noticed, and the final question, I guess, is from your recent post about your sh- upcoming show in Chicago, you had play in all capital letters. And it made me realize you probably consider this more playing than work, don't you? So what's your take on what you do for a living? Is yeah, it work? I hate to say it, but I would do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't have to not get yeah. paid for it, but... I love what I do. I love my job so much. And that's that's why it's so hard not to have been able to do it for, for you know, so long, at yeah. least the touring part of it. Yeah. Um, and to feel so kind of unsettled and uncertain about the future of touring, you know, just because 
uh, will there be another wave? Will the next round of gigs get canceled? I have friends who've had three different tours canceled and then rescheduled. And then by the third time, they're like, oh, screw it. I can't. I just can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Start over. Yeah, start over. So uh, I just hope that, that we can continue uh, doing what we do and that people understand how essential it is to those of us who do this, you know, that they, that they show up and, you know, support us. Well, thank you for 31 years of enjoying your music, and I wish for 30-some more to come. Yeah, we'll do it. Let's do it. I Let's hope, do it I when hope, I'm in the walker. I hope your, your fingers <laughs> and your voice hold out. Your voice sounds great still. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Jonathan. Thank you, John. My pleasure. Acoustic Alternatives from Grove Studios in Ypsilanti. Please look them up if you're in the area and you're looking for a place for your band or your podcast or your DJ skills to practice. They're an excellent choice for you. They've been very kind to me and they'll be awfully kind to you. And thank you to Jonathan for being kind as well. The latest album is called The Sweetwater Sessions, available on your website, simply jonathabrook.com. Simple as that. Simple as that. There we go. Thanks a lot.